Thank you for joining us for our current sermon series at City Baptist Church. And this is Pastor Paul, and right now we're in a study of the life of one of the most well-known individuals in all of Scripture, King David from the book of 1 Samuel. As we study the highs and lows of his life, we'll see that in every circumstance, God is working for his glory and for our good. We are so thankful that you would choose to grow in your faith with us. And if there's anything we can do for you, we would love to hear from you through our website or social media accounts. We really do believe that God is changing lives through His Word, and so we are praying that you'd be encouraged and challenged by this week's message. If you can remember back with me, it's been a couple of weeks uh, since we were together in this book. But if you can remember back with me, uh, David, of course, knew that he was the anointed king of Israel. Uh, He knew that one day he was going to be the leader. Uh, He had been anointed by the prophet Samuel. He understood all of those things, but in this moment, it really didn't seem like it was going to happen. If you can remember back, there was a a whole situation surrounding uh, David and uh, Jonathan, who was the son of King Saul. And so Jonathan and David, they were good friends, of course, and uh, at this point, King Saul was against David in all ways. In fact, he was trying to kill him. At this point, there was seven attempts that King Saul perpetrated on David's life that were unsuccessful. Now, I don't know about you, but I've only had maybe two or three attempts on my life. I'm kidding. <laughs> at least that I, don't, that I know of. I don't know. Maybe, maybe there are some that I didn't know about. Um, but I, it's hard to imagine having someone att- trying to kill you, and he has now evaded seven different times that Saul has tried to kill him. And so uh, David, of course, is very insecure, uh, but beyond that, he's suspicious. And so what we see happening here in the story is that uh, him and Jonathan uh, are good friends. Uh, David's hiding from King Saul, but Jonathan is convinced that Saul's done with it. In fact, he comes to David and he says, David, I think that my dad is done trying to kill you. Now, isn't that, that makes you feel good, right? I think he's done trying to kill you. So why don't you come back to the king's house, come back to Gibeah and be a part of uh, the royal family and everything that's happening up here. And David's like, I I don't know about that, which let's give him that. He deserves to be suspicious, don't you think? Totally suspicious. I don't know about that. So they contrive this plan though. David says, "Uh, Jonathan, I trust you. I mean, we have a covenant friendship. And so if you think this is really what's happening, why don't you go back and mention me to your dad, or I'm just not going to show up for a banquet. And if your dad gets really ticked off, then you need to tell me about it. And so I'm going to make sure to stay away. So they come up with this whole plan. This is in our last uh, message that we covered all through chapter number 20. And they come up with this plan. And Saul, of course, revealed his determination to kill David once again. And in fact, in his rage, he tried to kill Jonathan, his own son, because he felt like now he was more loyal to David than he was to King Saul. Are you with me? Some of you are like, wait a minute. And if you missed the previous nine messages, uh, go and catch up on YouTube or on the podcast. You can catch up on it and kind of be where we're at. But uh, for today, we're in chapter 21. So all this has just happened. Uh, David and Jonathan, they uh, meet up together and... ...is that they say goodbye to each other for maybe the last time. Their friendship, of course, was unique considering their circumstances, Jonathan was the rightful heir to the throne. David was God's anointed to the throne. And so you can imagine with that, uh, there, there would have been some conflict, don't you think? There would have been some potential for conflict. But despite that conflict, these two men had a biblical, uh, close relationship. They walked with God. And as a result, this is key, 
as a result, they were able to put aside any reasons to be competitive. They were able to put aside their differences in order to appreciate and encourage each other's calling and giftedness. Now, that is such a great example for the local church, isn't it? Because we are so built for competition. We're so built to look at one another and compare ourselves with each other, even though scripture says that's not wise. But yet we do that. But here is the great example of two guys who had reasons to be competitive, but they laid it aside, they affirmed, and they recognized God's calling and God's giftedness in each of them. And I think that's pretty incredible and a great example for us as we interact as a church family, one with another. We're not here to compete, okay? We're not here to compete. God has given us a giftedness according to his will, and so we can celebrate that and be thankful for that and build relationships and develop uh, uh, really a heart of service together for the church. But now... This has all happened. I'm just giving you some quick background, but now the time had come to separate. Jonathan goes back to Gibeah. He goes back to his father's house. And David, where's he going to go? Where's David going to go? He is now a man on the run. He's a fugitive. He is a man without a home. Think about it. If you, if you think back to some of the earlier messages, uh, he couldn't return, of course, to where he had been. His wife, in fact, was still back there with Saul. So he didn't have a family. Uh, he couldn't have returned to his parents in Bethlehem. Uh, they would have been watched. It was, it was very well known that Saul had spies all throughout the land trying to do his bidding. Of course, Saul had told all of his servants, if you see David, you're to kill him on sight. Where is it that he's going to go? He's a man on the run for his life. And, and you and I, I, I don't think, see, here's the thing with scripture. We read these stories and we're like, wow, that's okay, interesting. Can you really understand what it's like to be on the run for your life? I mean, I really can't understand what that's like. I think probably the closest that we can understand is maybe during a very intense game of hide and seek as a kid, <laughs> right? You know what I'm talking about. If you've played hide and seek, you know you're in the closet and the person who's it is walking by and your heart's just pounding in your chest, you know? I don't want to be found. I, that's a terrible example, but that maybe would get us a little bit close to where David was. He could not go anywhere. Everyone knew that David's head should be on a stick and they knew that David or that Saul was doing everything he could to kill David. And so where does he go? Where does he go? I want us to understand the desperateness of the situation because I, I feel like understanding David's de desperateness helps us to maybe understand some of the decisions that we see happening here in these next few chapters. Instead of David being uh, well-known, instead of the notoriety and the privilege and the blessing that David had received for his victories and his victory over Goliath and over the Philistines and everyone singing songs about him, what we come to discover as we get into this last uh, third of the book of 1 Samuel is that now David is just simply trying to survive. That's all he's trying to do. He's simply trying to survive on the run. And to me, it's kind of like, if you ever watch, you ever watch like an action movie? I know some of you are too spiritual to watch movies, but sometimes I watch action movies. And, uh, and, and have you ever noticed that sometimes in those action movies, just when you think, you know, the hero is going to be okay, something more terrible comes along. Uh, I was talking with Max. Uh, Max is watching a show right now. And, uh, and he told me the other day, I said, oh, how's the show going? And uh, he's like, He's like, why can't they just leave them alone for a few minutes, is what he said to me. He's like, they've worked so hard to get where they want to get, and then something bad. Every single time, they're going to reach their, their goal or something, you know, just have peace for five minutes, and then some other terrible thing comes along. And so you understand it in that context, and that's really David's life at this point. 
He's on the run, and what we're going to see is just terrible thing after terrible thing, difficult situation, challenging situation, over and over and over again. And while for us, they seem interesting, and we can sort of disconnect ourselves from it, it's like, wow, that seems like it was, that was an interesting story. The important thing I want us to remember that as we move through scripture like this, where there's repetitiveness, there's difficulty after difficulty, it's very easy for us to disconnect from it. But I don't want us to forget that in every passage of scripture, there is an important lesson for all of us. So over these next few weeks, over the next really four to five weeks of this sermon series, it's just going to be problems. It's just going to be difficulty. It's just going to be challenges. And maybe some of you are like, that's my life right now. Okay, so you can relate a little bit. But it's just difficulty after difficulty after difficulty. And and if we're not careful, we can just sort of disconnect ourselves from it. But I want to remind you of Romans chapter 15, verse number four, that tells us that whatsoever things were written aforetime, Paul's writing here, he says that the things that were written aforetime were written for our learning. They're written for our learning so that we, through patience and comfort of the scriptures, might have hope. The point I want us to get is that even as we study these passages that seem to just be a repetitive difficulties over and over again, we don't need to be separated from it, but rather we need to realize that God is teaching us something through it. All of scripture is given for our learning. You know, there's certain passages of scripture that I read and I'm like, what is the point of this, God? You ever thought that? Like, why is this here? Well, it was given for our learning. And if anything else is to understand that through patience and through the scripture that we have hope in God. And so as we begin uh, a study really of the life, I'm, I'm kind of subsetting this message series here on the king on the run, okay? The David hiding and running I want us to remember that God does have something for us here in these stories together. Well, as I've mentioned already, Jonathan and David, they confirmed their friendship. They've given a covenant to one another. Uh, they said, even for our kids and our kids' kids, we're going to be friends. And now they go their ways. And David immediately leaves, and he goes and leaves Gibeah, and he heads to a new place. Let's get to verse number one. It says, then came, came David to, what's the name of that city? Nob. I want to make sure you're with me today, Okay. We're going to walk through just sort of this narrative here together. So then came David to Nob to Ahimelech, the priest, and Ahimelech was afraid at the meeting of David. And he said unto him, why art thou alone and no man with thee? So David's in a desperate situation. He has nowhere to go. And like he had done earlier in a difficult situation, he goes to a place where there is a priest. Uh, in in uh, the, the land there, and I want to just give you a little bit of an idea here. There's Jerusalem, of course. Uh, Gibeah was north of that. That's where King Saul had his home and really uh, hell and, and ran the country from. Ramah is on the map because it's actually a place where David went earlier to meet with a priest, uh, to meet with Samuel, sorry. But now we see him going some four kilometers or so. Of course, remember, everything's on foot in that day. He goes down uh, to Nob, and he comes to Nob, and it seems to be, from other scripture passages, a place where there was a large gathering of priests. It's believed, in fact, that this is the place where the tabernacle was set up after the uh, the destruction of Shiloh, which Shiloh was where the tabernacle was for a long time, the Ark of the Covenant. You remember the Philistines came in, and they took the Ark, and and they absolutely destroyed Shiloh. 
And so now it's believed that the tabernacle without the ark is here in Nob, and there are some priests here. And he comes and he's greeted by a guy by the name of Ahimelech. He is the priest there at Nob. He is the grandson of Eli. Do you remember Eli the high priest? And he had two sons, Hophni and Phinehas. This is Phinehas's son, Ahimelech. And so he is in line uh, to the high priest. So there's a connection there. Are you staying with me? Okay. <laughs> We're connecting some of these dots here. So Ahimelech is the priest here in Nob. It's believed that the tabernacle was there. And when David comes, he confronts David. And notice it says that he was afraid. Did you see that? The, the literal translation of that word means trembling with fear. So he comes to David and he's trembling in fear. And he says, why are you here? And why are you here alone? And he asks him that question. You say, why is that so strange? Because somebody with David's power and influence, remember, he was, a, he was still a big deal, would never be traveling without an entourage. You know, he would, never have, he would never be traveling without some people there for protection and companionship. And here he is, he walks in alone, and this guy is trembling and he's afraid. You say, why is he afraid? Well, you can kind of fill in the blank. Why do you think he was afraid? Why do you think he was afraid? He knew that if there was another problem here between David and Saul, and he was known to be a part of this, there could be some issues for him as well, right? Okay, we're going we're gonna to dig into this together. So this is what happens. He comes to him and he says to him, why are you alone and there's no one with you? Well, we come to verse number two. And David said unto Ahimelech the priest, the king has commanded me a business and has said unto me, let no man know anything of the business uh, that I send thee and what I have commanded thee and I have appointed my servants to such and such a place. Okay. David here comes to Ahimelech and he says, I'm on a secret mission. I don't know if he looked over his shoulder, but he says, I'm on a secret mission of the king. And he even goes so far as to say that uh, I'm on this mission. And I'm going to meet up with, uh, with my, my crew later on, and I'm going to meet up with them at a certain location. Notice, notice what it says here, to such and such a place. He was really discreet. He didn't even tell him where he's meeting up with people, but he says, it's okay. I'm alone. I'm on a secret mission. I'm going to meet up with my guys later on, but I'm not going to tell you where that is. So it's this kind of clandestine kind of a, a situation. Now, let me ask you a question this morning. Is that true? Some of you are flipping through your Bible right now. <laughs> Is David on a secret mission from the king? Okay. Are you sure? Okay, you are. Good. And you're right. This is not true. David is not on a secret mission <laughs> from the king. David here lies to the priest. Which now that brings up a lot of questions, doesn't it? Why is David the man after God's own heart? Why is David the future king, the one who's supposed to be far better than Saul because he walks with God? Why is the king lying to the high priest, the representation of God there in, in, in the city? Why is he lying? Brings up a lot of questions. Uh, was he trying to protect him? Was he trying to give him an, an alibi, you know? Like later on, if they come and say, why did you help David? Well, I didn't know what he was doing. He told me he was coming because the king said he was to come. Was he giving him an alibi? Was he uh, worried that if he told the priest the truth, that he then would maybe turn him in and his life would be at risk? What's going on here? What's going on? Okay, here's the answer. We don't really know. <laughs> we don't really know. There's no indication as to why David made this statement, 
But at face value, here's what it looks like. It looks like a guy who's desperate. As we're going to find out, he's hungry. He has no protection. He has no friends. He's in the, the he's, he's fighting for his life. He has nowhere that he can be. And so he's willing to say anything in order to get what he needs and preserve his life. That's what I see here. I don't know if you see the same thing, but that's what it seems like at face value, just reading it for what it was. Later on, we hear about in the retelling of this story by an eyewitness in chapter 22, which we'll look at uh, next week. He wanted to seek the Lord for direction from the priest. We see that it indicates that he did that, but yet he's still lying to the priest at the same time. Now you might be thinking, this does not seem like the David that we have heard about and the David that we know. It doesn't. It doesn't seem like the same guy. And you'd be right. <laughs> this is not the same guy. This is not the same David that when he went to fight Goliath was so confident that he was going to win that he just said, hey, when I defeat Goliath, when God gives us Goliath, when we see the victory, everything's going to be okay. He didn't even say if. He says when. He was so confident in his God. All throughout the earlier studies, we see David crying out to God and, you know, God's going to be with me and God's going to walk with me and, and God's my protector and God's going to go before me. All of these great things that we know, but yet here we have David coming in uh, in a secretive manner, lying now to the priest. Instead of seeing a guy that, uh, that was giving glory to God for all of the past victories that he had seen over the Philistines, what we see is a man who's not casting his care and his burdens upon the Lord, but somebody trying to manufacture For himself. Now, this right here is something that I think we all can understand. I don't know about you, but there's been times where I found myself in a desperate situation. Whether it's relational, financial, or just a situational difficulty in life that I feel alone and I feel desperate and I don't know what to do, and how quickly what happens in my life, and, 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 and I believe in yours as well, but when we find ourselves in those difficult circumstances, my default mode is to try to fix it myself. You ever find yourself in that? My default mode is like, okay, what am I going to do? What am I going to do to fix this problem? What am I going to do to get out of this uh, financial difficulty? What, uh, what, what is it that I'm going to do? And sometimes, if we're honest, we're even tempted to be dishonest in the things that we do, in the decisions we make, in the, 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 the things we say in order to try to fix that problem. How many times relationally, those of you that are married, have you been tempted and maybe given into the temptation to fudge the truth a little bit to try to work things out? If you're to be honest with me today, there's so many different areas of life that we struggle in this and we feel desperate and we feel up against the wall and so we try to manufacture something and we might even do things like, oh, I prayed over it, right? <laughs> you know, dear God, bless the decision I've already made. <laughs> Have you ever done that? You know, I already know what I'm doing, God, but would you please bless the decision that I made? Okay, are we good? All right, I'm gonna go and do that. And, and that's what happens. We ask God to bless the things that, that we've already done and we hope that he'll bless our decision and what I see here is a man who had already had a plan, something he was going to try to do, and so he says what he thinks he needs to do in order to do what he thinks he should do. And we don't see any evidence here of David crying out to God and, or even talking about in remembrance, God, remember when you protected me from Goliath as just a young teenager? God, I'm sure you got me right now because I know that you anointed me. I know that you have a calling on my life. We don't see that. We see him instead trying to manufacture results. 
And this really hits close to home. Especially, I, I just say for me, because I, I am so prone to try to do things in my own strength. I'm so prone to try to figure it out with my own intellect and even, even saying things like, well, God, you gifted me in this area, so I'm just gonna figure it out <laughs> because I know that you've given me this giftedness and so I'm just gonna do it. Man, we're so prone to this. We're so prone to this. Maybe for some of you this morning, you're in a season of life like David right now. There's some areas of your life that you're feeling a little bit desperate about. You're not really sure what you're gonna do. You're not sure what the answer is. You feel like everyone's against you. And maybe like David, it's like one thing after another thing, after another thing, after another thing. It feels like everything is falling apart. And right now you're in the process of, or maybe you are already beginning to make decisions based out of a heart of fear. And I gotta tell you, when you make decisions based out of fear, that's always going to be a self-centered decision because God has not given us a spirit of fear, has he? but of power and of love and of a sound mind, meaning we'll make wise decisions when we're walking with the Lord. And so some of you right now might be struggling with that. Man, I've been through so many seasons in my life, in my life like that, and, and, and I feel like I'm facing some right now even. And the temptation is to just try to figure it out and out of my own fear and insecurity make that decision. But I wanna challenge us this morning, listen, you need, to, you need to get back to God. Don't be like David. Don't be like David here. I know that he is a picture of the coming king and the coming Messiah, uh, but he's also a man, so we have to remember that. And we'll see that throughout his life where he makes decisions that do not honor God. And here we find ourselves a great reminder that even in challenging situations that we have, even in difficulties of life, first of all, pursue God, number one. But secondly, be honest about the circumstances. Just because you're in a trial or just because it's a challenging situation, you still need to be a person of integrity and a person of the truth. That comes up every tax season, doesn't it? <laughs> Which are past right now. <laughs> and you feel a little bit desperate. What am I going to do here? We still need to be people of integrity and do the right thing. So David, I don't believe, is really in a good situation. He's not following what James chapter 4, 17 tells us. To him that knows to do good, you don't do it. It's sin. He's not doing that. He's doing the wrong thing. And while there might be some who would try to excuse uh, David and excuse him from this lie, we cannot allow ourselves to categorize sin, nor is this lie ever condoned in Scripture. And here's what I want to focus on for a moment. Though this lie seems inconsequential, and you and I might give him a pass, like, you know what? Hey, man, I can't even understand what you're going through. You're going through a rough time, so I'll give you a pass on this lie. What we are going to see next week is that this lie carries with it devastating consequences. Devastating consequences. And we'll cover that in the future, so do not read chapter 22, okay? <laughs> I normally encourage you to read ahead. Do not. Promise me. Hands up. All right, good, okay. Some of you read it right now while we're sitting here, so... <laughs> <laughs> don't read it, okay? His lie seemed harmless enough, but it will, like other sin does, or any sin, affects more people. So David here deceives the priest. But now he follows up his lie with a request of his own. Let's continue now in verse three. It says, now therefore, this is David speaking. He says, what is under thy hand? That just means like, what do you have control of? Or what there is, uh, oh, sorry, what is under thine hand? Then he says, give me five loaves of bread in my hand or what there is present. So give me five loaves or just whatever you have. And the priest answered David and said, there's no common bread under my hand, but there is hallowed bread. If the young men have kept themselves, at least 
from women. Okay, we're going to cover that in a moment. The next verse, verse 5. And David answered the priest and said unto him, Of a truth, women have been kept for us for about these three days since I came out, and the vessels of the young men are holy, and the bread is in a manner common, yea, though it were sanctified this day in the vessel. Verse 6. So the priest gave him hallowed bread, for there was no bread there but the showbread that was taken from before the Lord to put hot bread in the day when it was taken away. Now, this right here, the fact that David comes and he asks him for bread, that's his main request. He asks him for food, kind of helps me to understand a little bit that this whole situation, I believe, was part of a plan that David had in place. He went here specifically knowing that this was a spot where he could possibly find some food. And you say, well, why is David so hungry? Um, I think for most of us, we don't really understand, uh, and maybe some of you have experienced this, to be at the point in hunger where you are asking people for food. I personally have never been in that place. Like, yeah, when I was a kid, like, mom, I'm starving. Not really, okay, you know that. Uh, You know that I wasn't really starving. But I mean, going days and days and days and going to people saying, please, do you have any food for me? I can't imagine what that was like. But it seems like that was the case here for David. Remember, to discover what was happening, he'd been out there for three days already, and we don't know how long it took him to travel quietly and secretly through the land to get to this place, but he's hungry, and I believe this is part of his plan. He knew that there possibly would be some food there, and so he goes, and he comes, and he asks him for bread, but when he asks for bread, there's a bit of an odd conversation that happens there. Did you notice that? Uh, Himalek says to him, he says, well, I don't have any common bread. That just means regular bread, but I only have holy bread. That's bread that was in the tabernacle, bread that was set aside every single week on the Sabbath. This bread was changed out. It was called showbread. There were 12 loaves stacked in groups of two, six groups of two there in the tabernacle in the Holy of, uh, it, right next to the Holy of Holies. It was very close to the Holy of Holies. So this was sacred bread, and every weekend, as they would change it over on the Saturday, on the Sabbath day, uh, that bread was then given to the priests, and the priests were to use it for, for themselves, and no one else was supposed to use it. So he says, I don't have any regular bread, but I have this holy bread that is restricted and only for the priest. But then he asks him, hey, have any of the people that you're going to meet up with that are going to be with you, uh, have they uh, been in an intimate relationship recently? <laughs> now to us, we're like, what? <laughs> what kind of question is that? Well, again, this goes back to the law and that there was some uh, acts, which you can fill in the blank there what it was that uh, if within a certain amount of days of a holy day or being a part of a, a ceremony, that you were to uh, abstain from that. Praise God for the fulfillment of the law, right? Okay, we don't, we're not fall under that anymore, but there were certain things, and part of it was, um, and I can, if you got questions about it, I can fill you in on it later, okay? Uh, but Himelech here, he says, he asks this question, and David says, yes, we, we meet all of the requirements for the purity of someone who could eat this bread. And then we see Ahimelech give him this bread. And that brings up some questions. Why is it that he would give the bread to David? Now, I don't think that Ahimelech would give the bread just to anybody. If it was you and me walking off the street, like, hey, I don't think he would have given it to us. And it's not that Ahimelech was was disregarding the law of God. In fact, he asked a very specific question about that person's ability to partake in a holy ceremony. So I don't think that was the case. I don't think that uh, he was, uh, you know, just disregarding the law of God. He was very specific about it. But what we see here, see here, is Ahimelech as somebody, and we don't know the reason, and I wish the Bible gave us more details about this. We don't know what Ahimelech was thinking. 
All we see are his actions as he gives him the bread. And in that moment, what we can assume is that God intervened at this point, that God stepped in and God provided for the coming king. Remember, David was the anointed king of Israel. And God here still stepped in and used Ahimelech to provide for this future leader, even though David uh, attempted to deceive him into giving him the bread, God was already working behind the scenes to make sure that his king was provided for. Now, this is a great picture of the grace of God, isn't it? The fact that even though we often stray and we are deceptive and our old sin nature takes over sometimes, by God's grace, he still steps in and provides for his children and provides for those that he's called and led. Man, I'm so thankful for the grace of God today because I see that picture right here. Ahimelech could have been like, take a hike, dude. You're not a priest. You're not going to eat this bread. No way. I don't care who you are. But yet, for whatever reason, he decided, yes, I'm going to give you this bread. And even though it was not in the greatest of circumstances, God was still working to provide first person. Jump down with me to verse number eight. And David said unto Ahimelech, it continues here. And David said unto Ahimelech, is there not here under thy hand spear or sword? So now he says, okay, you got me the bread. Thank you very much. Do you have any weapons. For I have neither brought my sword nor my weapons with me because the king's business requires haste. Now, David is still thinking that his plan is working. Notice the king's business requires me to be fast. So I don't have any weapons with me. He gave me the bread. I'm loaded up with loaves of bread. Do you have any weapons with you? Okay. David is still operating in this, in this, uh, this mindset. Verse number nine. And uh, the priest said, the sword of Goliath, the Phil- wait, the Goliath, the Philistine, The sword of Goliath the Philistine, whom thou slewest in the valley of Elah, behold, it is here, and it's wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. If thou wilt take that, take it, for there's no other save that here. And David said, there's none like it. Give it to me. Again, this is what I think. This is personal. Don't don't write a book about this. Uh, But I personally think this is what David was after all along. Personally. I feel like David was after the sword. I think that's what he was really after. If you remember in the story of 1 Samuel chapter 17, after he defeated Goliath, it says that David took Saul, uh, a Goliath's armor and he put it in his tent, meaning he kept it for himself. The sword, the spear, we don't know where they ended up. Notice he says the sword and the spear, but I am sure that if it ended up here in Nob, that David would have known about it. Just because, I mean, obviously he's intimately connected to that story. And so if somebody was like, hey, did you hear the sword of uh, Goliath is uh, there up at Nob and, and the priest, and he heard about it. And this is what I believe, personally, this is what I believe he was after the whole time. He's like, I want to get that sword. I need a weapon. I need a way to defend myself. And so he goes after it and he asks him for it and he goes ahead and gives it to it. This was David's plan. And it seems like it's working out, doesn't it? It does. Come on, help me out here. You guys are looking sleepy today. I know it's kind of warm. You're just like, I'm tired of watching you sweat, Pastor. I'll stop for a minute, okay? (laughs) And you're like, okay, he's got the bread, right? He's got the sword. Doesn't seem like anybody's found out. Seems like everything's good. No harm, no foul. You know, I've I've lied. It's not that big of a deal. So I think we're going to be okay. But let's go back to verse number seven. Verse number seven. As I mentioned at the beginning of the message, he is entering a season as a fugitive. That's going to be one difficulty after another. And we begin to see that happen here in verse 7. It says, now a certain man of the servants of who? Saul. So a certain man of the servants of Saul was there that day. 
detained before the Lord. His name was Doeg, an Edomite, and he was the chief of the herdmen that belonged to Saul. Now, right in the middle of this story, we have this one verse. And to you and me, it's just like, okay, that's an odd detail. Now, it's going to prove very significant that the chief herdsman of Saul just happened to be in the room, just happened to be in the room to observe this encounter. Now, we're going to have to wait till next week to find out the significance of this, okay? So I hope that you come back next week as we're going to talk about the significance of this dude Doeg, okay, and how he's involved. But I want you to... The reason we mention this in the verse, obviously, and we want to talk about it just for a moment, is just simply that sometimes when we think we're getting away with something, we're not. (laughs) Sometimes when we think that we're able to deceive and manipulate and get our own way, there's always someone who is watching, and that is your Heavenly Father. And He sees all things. And not only does He see all things, but He knows your heart. He knows your heart. Now, that's a very sobering thought, if you consider it. It's a sobering thought. David here felt like all was good. He felt like he was going to get away with everything. Man, I got the bread. I got the sword. Thanks, Ahimelech. I'll catch you later. (laughs) I'm, I'm ready to go. And yet there was somebody there who saw the deception. And as I mentioned, it's going to have devastating consequences. So my question for all of us this morning is, you say, man, pastor, this is going to be kind of hard because I think you know what I'm going to say. <laughs> but what is it that you think you're getting away with right now that you think God doesn't see? What is it in your life, in your actions, in your heart, in your mind, on your phone, on your computer that you feel like, I think I'm going to be okay? I've got it under control. I've got it under control. There's even other people in your life that maybe affirm that. And you think that it's going to be, I I got it. I got it all figured out. I'm going to be okay. No one's ever going to find out. I want to remind all of us this morning that we have a God who loves us, first of all. If you're his child today, it says that he loves you. And because you're his child, he's willing to correct you. And because God sees and he knows the heart, he knows the mind, he knows the secret sins of our life. And so I challenge you and I want to encourage you this morning as we, as we close to simply consider your life. What is that little thing that you're allowing to go unattended? What is that little deception that, you know, if I lie about this, it's not that big of a deal. If, if I embellish you know, uh, it just in our study of the Ten Commandments, uh, just uh, we, we talked about deceiving people. And if I embellish this in my resume, if I change this, if I say this, we're all so guilty of that. There's much bigger things, of course. But the thought I want to put into all of us today as we leave is that while we may think we are deceiving everyone and we may think that we're getting away with it, God sees it. And this is not to scare us, okay? Understand. This isn't, this isn't me saying like, you better figure it out, you know, or God's going to beat you over the head. No, God is a God of grace and mercy. Praise God for all of the times that he knew my sin and he withheld judgment on my life. Praise the Lord for that. 
and gave me an opportunity. He is long-suffering, Scripture tells us. He is long-suffering so that we would repent and make it right with God. But unless we have moments like today where we're confronted and challenged with this, and you might be saying, man, I, I, don't, like it if a, I don't like it when a pastor talks to me like this. Uh, li- listen, if you're, if you're struggling and under conviction right now, it's, because, it's not because of me. It's not because of me. It's because the Holy Spirit's working in you. And that's something you, could, you should pay attention to and say, wow, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for loving me enough to bring this to my attention so that I have an opportunity to make it right. And today's maybe that day. David had a plan. I've got it all figured out. He did not consult the Lord. I'm going to do this thing. I'm going to get away with this. It's all going to be, it's all going to be great. He probably thought it was a great plan. I'm going to deceive the priest. I'm going to, I'm going to get the sword I want. I'm going to do all this stuff. And no one's even going to know. But someone did know and someone did see. And God knows your heart. And so this morning, I want to ask you, is there something that you need to repent of, something that you need to make right with God today? You're still holding on to that bitterness and anger and unforgiveness and you're still judging that person. You're still holding it against them. There's that deception. There's that lie. There's that dishonesty in your life. You're not being upfront. There's that, there's that pornography, that sexual sin. There's that, all of those things that we try to hide away. And God is saying today, I know, I know. And before we can get to the point of consequences for our sin, because scripture tells us there are consequences for our sin. Okay, that's, that is straight up in scripture. We don't make that up. That's true. Be sure your sin will find you out. Scripture talks about. We need to have a moment like today where we can get right with God. And so I invite you to do that this morning. Maybe you're in a situation of difficulty and struggle and you're, you feel like it's just one bad thing after another and you don't know why it's happening. And so you've been trying to, trying to figure things out on your own. My call to you this morning is maybe you need to return to God and, and cry out to God and say, God, I need to, <laughs> I need you in this situation. I need you. That's the one application for this morning. Would you turn to God and say, God, please help me in this situation. Trust in him and his wisdom for your decisions, not in your own strength. It's Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. T- teach us that. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not unto your own understanding. That's the picture of your own understanding being a crutch that you lean on in life. And you know what's so amazing about life is that when you're leaning on your own understanding, God always finds a way to knock that crutch out from under you. <laughs> and then you hit the floor. <laughs> and then you're like, oh yeah, I need God. It's, it's far better. It's far better to trust in God and his wisdom. And the second application for today is maybe you feel like you've been getting away with some things. You know what's wrong. You know it's sin. And you've intellectualized it and you've figured out a way to, I think it's gonna be okay if I do this. And today God is saying to you, no, it's time to make this right. It's time to make this right. We hope that you were encouraged by the message today and we would love to hear how God has worked in your life. If you'd like to take the time to visit our website and send us a message through the contact page, we would really appreciate it. Have a blessed day.